tell me, how does this end? Tell me what you eat, and I'll tell you who you are. Interesting turn of phrase. I suppose the thinking decades ago was, say a child didn't eat their spinach or drink their milk, that they'd grow up to be sickly or frail. I knew someone once who refused to eat meat still attached to the bone, as if the awareness of consuming the flesh of another animal was discomforting, perhaps too intimate. But what of the extent someone will go to for the privilege of eating? Tell me what you do to eat. Then, I wouldn't need to tell you what kind of person you are. You and I would already know. This story is called, It'll Get Easier. The cashier's name tag, emblazoned with Bargain Buster's big-eyed mascot of a tomato with a cowboy hat, reads, Sarah. Below this is a ribbon advertising, I'd love to help you, just ask. So, I do. What if, just this once, you don't report it? I'll pay and slip out the back or something, I say. The absurdity of it brings hot shame to my ears. Sarah stares. The fluorescent lights cast a mask of shadows over her face. Jesus, she can't be more than 21. What, and you just walk out of here without playing the spree? Sarah's voice cracks in disbelief. Wouldn't that be great? I say, with a stupid grin as though we've shared a joke. Sarah scans my body, and her eyes glaze into the look you give the walking wounded, the life slowly seeping between their fingers. We both know how it will end, but one of us is in denial. I'm sorry, she says, quickly bagging my groceries and handing me my spree ticket before greeting the next customer. I don't blame her. The spree is the spree. Mandatory. Inevitable. The supermarkets have no more control over it than Sarah does. At the door, a guard with a lighted baton waves me into a stall, his face puckered into a frown. I don't waste my breath on him. The light in his eyes is long gone. His gaze lingers on me until the door shuts, and I hear the metal scratching of the lock. How many faces has he seen, I wonder? How many more has he forgotten? If this is my last spree, I hope he got a good look, so I can haunt him until his mind turns to pudding. A faint seventeen is stenciled on each side of the stall. The smell of sour milk rises from the floor, congealing in my mouth. Nausea foams in my throat, but I clamp it down. Vomiting is a luxury when food is scarce. A hanging bulb swings above me, shedding faint beams of light at my feet to be feasted upon by the darkness. The spree, the only way to buy groceries, was a politician's ploy to avoid armed rebellion over exorbitant food prices and bare store shelves. The theory was the populace was fixated on individual misery. They needed perspective. Distraction. If they saw the suffering of others, they'd be content with just their meager lives and the crumbs they fed their families with. Hunger was gamified and redefined. 
Were you hungry enough to participate in a spree? Or could you put off buying groceries a few days longer? It worked, and two camps were born. Shoppers had the means to purchase goods from stores, while the hollow scavenged for food if they could rip it from shoppers, even if it meant prying it from their lifeless corpses. The privileged and wealthy who own yards grow vegetables, raise livestock. The rest of us contend with the spree. It's nearly time. A buzzer hisses somewhere, and a grating hum fills the stall as the door before me falls, revealing a plexiglass partition. The asphalt of the parking area is pitted, and deep gouges mar its surface, but no obstructions otherwise. The line of parked cars marking the finish line an eighth of a mile away seems to grow as it feeds on my simmering anxiety. I ditch the shopping cart, balancing my bags over my left arm. The only good the cart will do is hasten my demise. In hopes of extending the time between sprees, people hoard and panic buy. They assume they can use the cart like a battering ram against the hollow, but it's too unstable at high speeds. I've seen it work with a team of two or more carts filled to the brim, but couples never spree together. No use risking two lives when only one will suffice. And that type of cooperation among households, or strangers, went extinct long before the spree was implemented. I pull out a metal baseball bat and test my hold with it. Our names, Ains and mine, are etched into the bat's grip. That way, mid-spree, we never lose hold of our reason to make it home. You don't see many guns anymore. I don't see much use to them anyway. They're heavy, and require too much accuracy to use effectively. It's not about making a last stand on Bunker Hill, but getting to the finish. Then there's the effect a gun has on the spree. The sight of one seems to send the hollow into a frenzy, singling out the gunslinger and smearing them across the asphalt as their falsetto screams slowly die. Three dings of a bell, as delicate and inappropriate as laughter at a funeral, and the plexiglass drops. The frantic rasping of shopping cart wheels skittering on asphalt echoes across the parking lot. I set out at a light jog, conserving energy. A rattling collision sounds from my right. A man's upturned cart spews its contents on the ground, which he stares at, frozen, save for his eyes, which flick from item to item. He could give up, or scramble for as much as he can carry and make a run for it. Instead, he does neither. The look of indecision on his face breaks something inside of me. I mouth, run, but he gapes at his strewn bounty and I tear myself away. A sound like thundering hooves is our only warning that the hollow are in play. My hold on the bat tightens, but I maintain my pace. A scream splinters the air. I turn, registering for just a second the mass of bodies closing in like floodwaters, just as a hollow drags off the lifeless body of the man with the spilled cart. Cameras livestream the event to those watching from home or in betting parlors, and are also used to verify each hollow's kill. There's no need for a hollow to keep hold of the body, but still, they do.
Unlike shoppers, the hollow don't leave anything to chance. They contend with a new breed of hunger that harbors a different kind of distrust. One, not easily dismissed. Many first-time hollow simply scavenge what scattered goods they can and flee. They don't get much for their efforts this way, but they keep their hands and their conscience clean. The more experienced hollow know a kill awards free groceries for a month. No spree or strings attached. I chance to look back. A woman begs a hollow to let her keep her groceries. The hollow returns the woman's tears with a dead-eyed stare and yanks on the grocery bags with the savagery of a rabid dog. Another jumps on the woman's back, and I avert my eyes. Fifty feet to my car, nearly there, when I feel a pull on my left shoulder. A hollow tore open one of my reinforced bags, spilling open a bag of oranges. Still clutching my bag, the hollow snatches an orange mid-air, and you'd assume it was gold, the way they cupped it in their palm. The horde is bearing down, so I let fly my bat. There's a solid thud and a wet crack, like a melon splitting open, as it connects with the hollow. I reach the line of cars, and an armed guard claps my back in congratulations. I only lost a few items. Not bad, but the oranges were Ain's favorite. Others trickle in behind me, catching their breath on bent knee. To my surprise, someone with a cart makes it through. The man pushing it has a neck like a telephone pole, dragging a hollow behind him on each leg, which a guard relieves by firing four rounds into the man's unwanted ballast. Everyone knows the spree ends at the guard line, but that new breed of hunger sometimes needs reminding. I look over the parking lot to examine the carnage, and am shocked at how quickly the grocery store staff have cleared it for the next wave. Ten feet from me, their body crumpled, is the hollow that attacked me, their hand still clutching their orange prize. You're home, Ain says, rising on his crutches. He had a close call with the hollow a few months back and barely made it home to me. He holds me close, swaddling me in his warm embrace. I'm home, I parrot back in a whimper. Ains and I make the groceries into a stew that'll last a month after we portion and freeze most of it. You'd be surprised, as I was, how many meals you can stretch out of a handful of root vegetables, beans, and some meat scraps. The weeks pass blissfully without another spree, until only a few ladlefuls of stew remain. Problems come in pairs, though. We have no money to buy food. This happens frequently, but we've always managed to find a way to stretch out what food we had, or just go hungry for a few days. But our caloric needs have increased. Ains needs to eat in order to heal, whereas I'm eating for two. There's only one option available to us now. I've done a disproportionate share of our sprees for the last six months. The valleys in my face are deep enough to lose myself in, and the premature grays along my hairline are starting to multiply. I'll go, Ains tells me, venturing a few feet on his cast. Like hell you will, I tell him, choking back tears. The offer is appreciated, but unrealistic. Even in my current state, 
I could outrun my shadow. They'd confiscate Ains's crutches before it even got started. He'd be lucky to just avoid getting trampled. He cradles my distended belly in his hands and weeps. The baby kicks at me to get a move on. The hollow, holding pens, aren't as ramshackle as I'd imagined. We stand in a well-lit warehouse that smells of almonds, sickly sweet, and faintly woodsy. The other hollow looked nothing like they do chasing you down, murder seething from their eyes. I imagined feral animals in cages, mouths dripping with spittle, bodies smeared in filth. But no, most sit on the concrete floor, somber and composed. But I can tell others are openly weeping. Among their number, there are standouts. Their bodies hold substantial muscle, their stomachs flat and not the bloated of the malnourished. Their eyes spark with the veteran's measured composure and a thousand-yard stare. They are full-time hollow and don't waste time, money, or their bodies on the spree. I can't imagine how they do it week in and week out. A chime sounds, and, with one mind, all get to their feet. A massive gate opens, and the mob files out as quick and orderly as a church congregation. Some even make way for others with a simple nod. It's unbelievable how many shoppers lug around shopping carts in the parking lot, shambling along like heads of cattle on the killing floor. I see now the hubris of the shoppers. They have no urgency, weighed down by their halls and beliefs that they were immune from death. They can't grasp, not for a second, what it's like to be this hungry. The only thing separating a hollow from a shopper is desperation and that new breed of hunger. I move shoulder to shoulder with those around me, sprinting on the balls of my feet faster than I ever have. The whipping wind makes my eyes water. It must be, because I'm crying. Unlike the shoppers, we aren't allowed weapons. The job must be done with your hands. A man stumbles when his cart, overflowing with goods like a bloated tick, catches a rock and a wheel, sweeping out his legs, and the resulting plunge peels most of the skin off of his hands and knees. Please, he whispers, quiet as prayer, stumbling away as if wading through concrete. Fury percolates within me. This man has everything. Food. Safety. His life. But can't be bothered to summon anything more than a meager plea to defend them. I have too much to lose to go for the scattered groceries and lunch past the cart. Before the man can say anything else to muddy my feelings about what comes next, I jump on his back. We teeter for an agonizing moment before the fall. I brace my pregnant midsection with one hand and grab his head with the other, aiming it toward the rapidly approaching asphalt. His head lands with a familiar crack. Heaving and sobbing, I shift off the body and allow myself to vomit. Something knocks into one of my knees, an orange, round, and perfect. I rip it open, and the acid in the rind stings my eyes and nose. 
I check the notification on my phone that my kill is confirmed, take a bite of the fruit, and feel its sluice slide down my chin. Next month, it'll be easier, I tell myself. And it is. Thanks for listening. Stay updated on the latest episodes by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts, on Instagram at hdte.mp3, and on my website, howdoesthisend.co. Support the show by sharing with friends, rating the episodes, or consider joining the Patreon at patreon.com slash howdoesthisend, link in the description. Special thanks to producer Halis Clemens Narvaez and patrons KB, Alex Cavazos, Linda Clemens, Liz Walker, Lucy McKay, Tiffany Wu, and Zans. This episode's cover art was generated by Adobe Firefly. The music for this episode is from Epidemic Sound. The How to Ascend podcast is a Stumblewell production, brought to you for Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Be well, do good, and until next time.